I like to start with a little joke, and that kind of loosens me up, and maybe you too. So we'll do that first, and then we'll pray. There was this man, and he had a 10-year-old son, and he took him on a weekend fishing trip. And at the boys' insistence, they attended a Sunday morning service at a little church in a small town nearby where they were fishing. So they sat through the service, and after it was over and they were going back to the car, the dad was just complaining right and left. He said the service was too long, the preacher was boring, music was off-key, just everything was wrong. And the boy, little boy thought about that for a little while, and he said, Well, Daddy, I think it was pretty good for a dime. He had only given him a dime to put in the offering. <clears throat> so... Father, we thank you for this time that we have together, Lord. We thank you that your spirit leads us in everything that we say and do. We just ask, Father, that you'd help us to be obedient to that leadership. We pray, Father, that your word that goes forth, the scriptures that we use, will speak to people's hearts, and that they'll, draw, they'll be drawn to you as a result. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well... I have a question. Have you all ever looked back on your life and wondered how you got where you are today? Let me see your hands. Anybody ever done that? See, everybody's done that. Really makes you wonder, doesn't it? Well, a lot of times when we do that, we'll not be exactly where we think we ought to be, and so we try to find scapegoats for why we're not what we think we ought to be. Sometimes we blame family, you know. My parents separated, they were divorced, so that's why I am what I am today. Or maybe we blame it on the environment. Maybe you were raised in a ghetto or in the middle of nowhere, and so that's why you are where you are today. Maybe it's your circumstances. You know, maybe it's because you were born into a family that didn't give you the opportunities that you think you should have had, so that's why you are where you are. Most often we blame people. We blame our wives, although I can't do that. Mine's perfect. <laughs> or we blame our husbands. I qualify. Or we blame our teachers or our cousins or the guy next door or whatever. You know, we blame everything except ourselves. But the truth is that what we are today, every one of us, is the sum total of all the choices that we've made in our lives, all the decisions that we've made in our lives. They are cumulative, and there's no getting away from it. Uh, there's a guy named Stephen Covey, who is a motivational speaker, and he writes books on motivation and all that kind of thing. And I have a quote from him that I heard years ago, and the more I thought about it, the more I recognized that it's absolutely a truism. He said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Reap a destiny. The title of my message tonight is Decision determines destiny. Decision determines destiny. 
we make dozens, if not hundreds, of, of choices daily or decisions, whichever you want to call them. And the fact of the matter is, God made us with a free will, the opportunity for us to make choices, make decisions. But there are a lot of cautions that He's given us with that. Let's look at uh, Deuteronomy thirty nineteen. You're going to put it up on the screen. We've all heard this scripture many, many times. It says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. You know, we even have a choice whether we're going to live or die. God gave us that choice. He gave us the free will. He gave us the ability to choose. But we, what we sometimes don't recognize is while we have the, uh, the right to choose, we're free to choose, we're not free not to choose. Because if you don't choose, actually, you're making a choice. And I've heard many people say, well, I'm not going to vote because my vote wouldn't count anyway. And when they do that, they've just voted. They've made a choice. And we do that with lots of other things. The other thing that we have to remember is we cannot choose the consequences of our choices. And every choice has a consequence. Some consequences are good. Some of them aren't so good. Some of them are really terrible. At least they have been in my life. Uh, but there's good news too. And that is that Good choices are cumulative too. As you make a good choice, it's easier to make a good choice the next time. So, for our purposes tonight, we're going we're gonna to look at one book of the Bible. And uh, there are two books in the Old Testament that are named for women they are Ruth and Esther. And both of them are love stories. And they are illustrative of God's love for his people in the opportunity that he has given us to make our choices. And both illustrate the fact that choices really do matter. They really do matter and they really do have consequences and some are good and some are bad. So we're going to look for tonight, we're just going to look at the book of Ruth. And Ruth, if you're looking it up in your Bible, it's right after Judges. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Did you get all that? I memorized that. Uh, let's look at Ruth chapter 1. And there's, there's only four chapters in this book. so, And we're not going to read all of it, but we're going to read a good bit of it. Because it's, it really illustrates it. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And this is in the land of Judah. It was Israelites' home country. There was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And before we go any further, I just want to talk a little bit about him making the choice to go to Moab to get away from this famine. Now, uh, Elimelech, who, that's the man's name, was, is, was a, uh, a Jew. He was a chosen child of God Almighty. And he made a choice 
based on natural circumstances where he left his country, God's country, and went to Moab. And a little background on Moab. Moab was a was a, 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 a country that worshipped a multitude of gods, but not the God. And the Moabites came about, they, had, they really had base religious practices. And uh, the Moabites came about as a result of, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot escaped with his wife and two daughters, and then his wife turned into a pillar of salt. So he escaped with his two daughters. Well, I don't know if you know the story or not, but uh, the two daughters uh, didn't think they were ever going to get an opportunity to be with a man again, so they got their father drunk and took turns having sex with their father. And the firstborn, the, the child that was born of that relationship with one of the daughters was a son named Moab. And he was the beginning of the Moabite people. So Elimelech made a choice to go into this godless country to get away from the famine. Okay, verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were, I don't know if I'm pronouncing these right, so bear with me, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Verse 3, please. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Four. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, not Oprah. Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. Verse 5. Then both Malan and Chilion also died, so the woman sur survived her two sons and her husband. Now, the result of Elimelech's choice to go there was that he died, and his two sons died, and left three widows. So, in that culture, it was... Naomi, the, the, uh, the wife's responsibility to take care of the two daughters-in-law. So, uh, let's, let's go to uh, verse 14. And we're, we're going to talk here about Ruth's choices. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. 15. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Godless country. Return after your sister-in-law. Verse 16. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you, for wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. Verse 17. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So, the wife, Naomi, tried to uh, get both the daughters-in-law to leave and go back to their country, and stay in their country, so that they might find husbands there. And Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, did so. But Ruth made the choice to cling to her mother-in-law and to cling not only to her mother-in-law but to cling to her people and her place and her God. Important choice. 
Uh, let's go to uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Were you not, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, excuse me. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a great man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Verse 2. Uh, uh, yeah, 2 and 3. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Verse 3. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Uh, Verse uh, 4. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. 5. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And he was referring to Ruth. He had noticed this good-looking girl, you know. So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. 7. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Okay, let's pause there a little bit. So Ruth's choices were that she, she clung to her mother-in-law and chose her country and her God. And she clung to Naomi. And then let's go to chapter 3 in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Two. Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the thrashing floor. Verse 3. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. 4. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. Okay, let's stop there a little bit. Uh, Excuse me. Did I mess that up? Didn't know it was there. Uh, (laughs) Ruth made a choice there to be obedient to the direction of her mother-in-law. As I said before, she was under Naomi's covering. She didn't have a husband. She was under the covering of her mother-in-law. So it was incumbent upon her to be obedient to that leadership, which she did. Now, I want to point out that this might seem like kind of a risque situation to our culture in this time. But in that culture... Ruth was not inviting an illicit affair with this man by uh, uncovering his feet and laying at his feet. In this culture, this is the way a woman offered herself in marriage to a man. So she was doing something that was, that was okay in that culture. And uh, Boaz understood. So let's go to verse uh, 5. And she said to her, all that you say to me I will do. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. Verse 7. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. So, uh, she did everything that her mother-in-law told her to do. And she did it just the way her mother-in-law told her to. So, you can see that Ruth's choices had good consequences and they get better as we go along so let's go to uh, verse 12 
And this is kind of a this is kind of a long section. So now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Thirteen. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. Fourteen. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she rose before one could recognize another. Then she said, "Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Fifteen. Also he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six epaphs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. Sixteen. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. Okay, so... This man, Boaz, made a number of choices there, didn't he? He could have rejected her right out of hand. He could have just said, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. You know, just, I'm, you're too young for me. I can't marry you. I'm an old guy. And so, so he made the choice that he was going to receive her. And then he made choices to bless her by giving her, you know, grain and all that. So on to verse 17. And she said, these six epaphs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. 18. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. 18, 19. 3, 19. Oh. Yeah, that's all there. Uh, go to uh, chapter 4, verse 8. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it, for, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. He had offered this other close relative that was closer than he, he was the opportunity to buy the field that Naomi owned. But along with it, he had to take Ruth as his wife. Uh, nine. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Limelech's and all that was Chilean's and Milan's from the hand of Naomi. Ten. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Milan, I have acquired as, as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. This was a custom in, in that day that when, uh, when a married couple, the man died and the, and the woman was childless, the closest relative, male relative, was obligated to uh, uh, produce a child for that inheritance. So, Boaz's choices were many, and uh, you know they there were some some consequences that resulted from that that were not entirely totally expected, but there were good consequences, right? The best consequence of that union between Boaz and Ruth produced. King David. He, King David was the grandson of Boaz and Ruth. That's a pretty good consequence, isn't it? Because King David was, was in the line of Jesus Christ. King David was Jesus' great, 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 great I don't know how many greats, but way back there. That, that union, those choices that those people made, the ones that Ruth made, the ones that uh, Naomi made, the ones that Boaz made, 
produced the lineage of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Pretty good choices, right? So there were some bad choices and there were some good choices. Now I want to talk a little bit about, that was just, that whole thing was just how to help you to understand how important choices are, how important they can be. Elimelech's choices produced three widows and a godless heritage, you know, for one of his daughters-in-law. So how do we make our choices? Well, I have to tell you, I've made some pretty dumb ones myself. Anybody else? <laughs> Anybody didn't raise their hand, we need, to, we need to have a meeting. So often we make choices without any kind of goal. We just make a choice based on what's convenient. Am I, am I taking too long here? I got a lot of time. Uh, we, we don't really even think about our choices a lot of times. We just make them. You know, it's convenient. It's, there's some pressure. I need to make a decision right now. Often when we do that, that's not a good thing. Often without a goal. Anybody ever do archery? You ever shoot a bow and arrow? You usually shoot at a target, right? Well, making the choice without a goal is like shooting an arrow at no target. There's no telling what you're going to hit. And making choices without some direction for that choice, some purpose for that choice, no telling what's going to come out of it. Often without signs or guideposts. Let's look at Psalm 119, verse 105. No hurry, I got lots of time. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 119, 105. And 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, there's a common theme between those two, two Scriptures. They're guideposts. The Word of God is a guidepost to how we live our lives. The Word of God is the guidepost, the goal for all the decisions that we make in our lives. And without, without the, the word, we're liable to make lots of bad choices and suffer the consequences thereof. A lot of times we make our choices without seeking the Holy Spirit. You know, God gave us the Holy Spirit to be our guide, our counselor, our comforter, you know, our advisor, all kinds of things. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. God loves us. And he wants us to make good choices so that we'll have good lives. He wants us to be healthy, well, prosperous, have good relationships, and all those kinds of things. And, those ki- and having those kinds of things are all dependent upon us making good, wise, scriptural choices. Now, you may think that, well, I have to make a choice about whether I'm going to pay the light bill or the rent this month. 
And there's nothing in the scripture about that. Well, there may not be anything in the scripture that speaks directly to that particular issue, but there are principles in the word that will guide you in making the decision on which of those to pay. He will guide you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. A lot of times we make our choices with pride. You know, I can do it myself. And boy, I'll tell you what, for many years, that was me all over the place. And believe me, I suffered the consequences for it too. So, let's look at uh, Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And it's true. Well, I was going to tell a story on myself, but I decided I better not do that. I decided I better not do that. Just believe me, I have experience in that area. And, and making a, a decision based on pride is, is never a good thing. And we often make them without counsel. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 14. Eleven fourteen. Where there is no counsel, the people fail. But in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. There's safety. The first counselor, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And that should be our go-to place. That should be the first thing we do when we're faced with a decision. Go to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, then, many times will direct us to somebody who can give us godly counsel. Maybe it's the pastor. Maybe it's uh, a relative. Maybe it's your father, mother, sister, brother. Somebody who has more experience in that particular area than you do. And when the Holy Spirit directs you to somebody like that, what do you think? Don't you think it's pretty good wisdom to take that direction and go talk to that person? Counsel is a very, very, very important thing to help us in our decision making. And you may be thinking, well, that's all well and good, but here I am, you know. I've already made all these bad choices. Where do I go from here? It's really important to remember that God takes us right where we are right now. Right now. And my wife reminded me the other day that we live in a covenant of grace. A covenant of grace. God has promised his grace to us. And you know, Pastor Bert did a, a little series a while back on grace. And I'm convinced that that word and the concepts that it entails are absolutely without, without a bottom. I don't think you can ever get to the end of what that term is. But when we begin to understand it and all the opportunity that it, that it provides us... Uh, I think we're beginning then to get a handle on God's love. His grace and His love are two sides of the same coin. So that's important to remember. He takes us right where we are today. We need to start making right choices. And maybe we've made a ton of bad choices. But we're always given the opportunity, again, to make a good choice or a bad choice. And every good choice you make, you can build on that good choice with a whole lot of other good choices. And pretty soon you'll find out that it's a whole lot easier to make a good one than it is a bad one. They are cumulative. <clears throat> and I'm going to give you about five steps here that are pretty... We're going to get done early. 
about five steps that are pretty good direction for making your choices. The first thing is to take a hard look at where you are today and ask the Holy Spirit for revelation of where you are today. Because He can show us things that's with, that are within us that we can't see for ourselves. How many of you know that we're blind to our own deficiencies? Excuse me, I've got to get it clean. We're blind to our own deficiencies. So it's important that we do look at ourselves hard and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to give us revelation of where we are. But then there's another, another piece of that, and that is we have to listen. You have to listen. How many of you know that that's sometimes a pretty hard thing to do? Yeah, everybody, a lot of people raising their hand. I raise mine. Take a hard look and listen. Number two is set your goal. Look at Matthew 22, verse 37. Set your goal. Don't just make decisions without a purpose. Set a goal. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Verse 38. This is the first and great commandment. 39. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, that's a big statement, those four verses. But if you really think about what they entail, if we follow those two commandments in our decision-making process, we can never go too far wrong. We just can't. It's really important, and that should be our goal to, to implement those two commandments in our lives and to live by them. Number three, seek godly counsel in the leadership of God's Word, Proverbs 4. And this is in the Amplified, please. Verse 20, on these two commandments hang all the law. Oh, no, no, that's not it. Proverbs 4, 20. My son, attend to my words, consent and submit to my sayings. 21. Let them not depart from your sight. Keep them in the center of your heart. Keep them in the center of your heart. You know, when the, when the word talks about your heart, you know what the word's really talking about? It's talking about your spirit. Talking about the innermost part of your being. And your spirit, just like your soul, just like your body, has to be fed. There's an old saying about uh, this man that had two dogs and, and he used to use them to fight each other. And he did that all the time. And so a guy came to him one time and asked him, well, because he bet on him, you know. The guy asked him, how do you know which one is going to win? He said, it's really easy. The one I feed. If you feed your spirit, your spirit gets stronger. And when your spirit gets stronger, you're able to overcome some of the temptations that you face in your decision-making process. And you'll make them not on a spur of the moment or not on a, a, the pressure of the moment or not on something you just desire, but you'll make them with godly wisdom. Four, now I can't tell you how critical this is. Check your friendships, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. 
Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Uh, Sarah and I have been in church for years and years and years and years. We've been in this church for 20, 20 and a half years. And we have seen so many people that come to church with good intentions. And they get mixed up with the wrong people, the wrong friendships, or they don't get rid of the friendships that they had that made their life bad before. And they fall away. We've seen it time after time after time after time. You need to check your relationships. And you need to get rid of the ones that are toxic. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out which ones are toxic. You need to surround yourself with, with people who are like-minded as, as you are, or as you're seeking to become, because it rubs off. You know, uh, there, there are a lot of people today that claim to be Christians, but they never darken the door of a church, so that they don't get influenced by people of the Word, they get influenced by the world instead of the Word. And they get influenced by their friends instead of the Word that they hear preached in a church. I'm here to tell you, if you want to live a good life, a good, productive life, there's absolutely no substitute for being in church on a regular basis and sitting under the Word and taking it in. And not just taking it in, but doing something with it. You've heard pastors say that many, many times. You have to apply the word. You have to be a doer of the word. So check your friendships. And the toxic friendship you just got to get rid of. You just have to. You don't have to be mean about it or anything. You just have to withdraw from those people and surround yourself with the right kind of people. And number five, and this is really critical, and uh, this, this is the last one. Watch what you say. Proverbs 30, 18, 21, excuse me, in the Amplified. Watch what you say. My wife and I help each other with this, you know, because sometimes we let things slip out of our, our mouths that aren't really productive. And uh, we'll say to each other, you didn't want to say that or something to that effect, you know, and it works, doesn't it? It's helpful. Watch what you say. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they who indulge in it shall eat the fruit of it for death or life. You know, and that's not just talking about physical death or physical life. It's talking about the life of your spirit. The real you that's on the inside. It's talking about that life. And you know, you can be born again, spirit-filled, and still not live a good life. Because of the choices that you make. You'll either feed your spirit or you'll starve your spirit and feed your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. So, I don't know if this message hits you in a good way or a bad way, but I didn't intend it to be a condemning word. So if you took it that way, I apologize. I, I intended it to be a word that gives you some tools to use to make your life better. Just make your life better. And it doesn't matter if you're, if you're a youngster or you're people of my, mine and my wife's age. 
It's never too late to start making good choices and to determine to make good choices. Kenneth Copeland says often, you know, there comes a place where you need to make a quality decision. And a quality decision is one that you make that you are not going back on no matter what. You're going to do it no matter what else happens. So it's time for you to do that. So, Father, we thank you for this time together.